Hi, my name is Mike Herbster. I'm privileged to be the director of Southland Christian Camp Ministries. For over 25 years, Southland has centered itself around the ministry of preaching. We believe that God uses the foolishness of preaching to convict hearts and transform lives. Our prayer is that today's sermon would push you to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you listen, would you carefully evaluate your life in light of God's Word and take the appropriate action to grow in your walk with Him? We hope that you will enjoy today's message. Like to thank Brother Herbster, his wife, their family for the invitation and hospitality shown in me and my family coming here. Uh, I know that I'm not anybody special as far as a speaker. There are many more that Brother Mike could have selected and drawn from, and I was humbled to receive the invitation. Uh, again, this is my third time coming, uh, once in 14 and then 17 and, and now here in 19. And each time we thoroughly enjoy it. I enjoy getting to know you as a staff. It's neat to see the unity that forms just over the course of one week. And when you first come in and you don't know everybody, you might know some, but you don't know everybody. And then to see those bonds form that by the time you leave, I wouldn't be able to tell you which of you just met a week ago and which of you go to college with each other. So it's a neat testimony of how God is going to unite your hearts together. Um, I've appreciated your attentiveness in the preaching times in chapel and the evening service. I know you are tired. I know that you have given of yourselves 100%. And so if you've been pinching yourself in the back of the leg or whatever you're doing to stay awake, thank you for doing that. Uh, it seems like you've just been engaged with the Word of God. And I trust that it will be the Word of God that is far longer lasting than just my presence or my personality or an illustration that I gave. I do believe that God's Word has a purpose, that He desires for it to work deep into your hearts, and so your attentiveness, uh, I just thank you for that. I'd also like to thank all of the staff who have worked tirelessly in the kitchen, providing all of the meals for me and my family all week long. Uh, what a great menu. You guys are in for good surprises, I'm sure, all summer long, and if this week was any indicator, you've got great meals coming your way. So uh, get good rest when you can on the weekends, because uh, during the week you're not going to get a whole lot of rest. Some of you on the weekends might choose, though, to uh, actually extend service and ministry uh, in the local church here at Kingsway and maybe even in other churches. And I encourage you, get involved. Have a, have a part of ministry and um, ask God for strength beyond your tired body. And the Lord will, he will give that strength. And as Dr. Herbster had said, we, my family and I, we will be praying for you guys as well. And uh, we'll miss you uh, for Austin and others who are in our neck of the woods or in our church locally. We look forward to seeing them uh, in the future uh, for those that call Cresco or surrounding areas home. But if you are ever in our area, and I'm serious, if you're ever in the area, if you're on 80 and you're heading east and maybe your travels are taking you to New York City or maybe you're heading west and, and uh, whatever the case might be, please look us up, come our way. And, and even if it's a good long ways from now and you have to remind me and say, hey, I was uh, at staff training in 2019 and you know, that was a couple years ago, we would welcome you into our home and, and uh, we, could, we could have a good time with you. So thank you for uh, showing your love towards us, and uh, we will continue to pray for you. 
I've titled this, A Lifetime of Service Begins with Lessons on the Sea. And I'll explain that, obviously, our text in Luke 5 deals with Christ ministering to some of those disciples when they were out on the Sea of Galilee. Um, But I wanted to refer back to something that occurred a number of years ago at my house. I was taking down some trees in my yard, and uh, at our home, we heat with wood, So if I don't cut down trees and uh, get firewood, well, we all freeze to death. So I I have to be about that business of harvesting the wood and getting the wood. And I had a number of big trees on my property that I was bringing down. And my wife and I learned early on that it is not good for a marriage to do tree work with your wife. Uh, So that's free advice. You can take that, you know, put that under odd information that Brother Eric gave me to give me a healthy, happy marriage. But um, normally what I would do is I would have the tree... Okay, let me just give you the context because you got to explain that. that I always find in my illustrations I keep having to go back further to explain my oddities and my weirdness. So I use, I use a potato launcher and I shoot a line way up into the top of the tree and then I take that small line uh, and I tie it to a larger line and then I tie that to a bowline, line and then I do a running bow line up to the top of the tree and then I hook the other end of the rope to the back of the Yukon which is a great thing to do with your family vehicle. So right, right, right on the ball, the two-inch ball, wrap that thing in tight, and then you get your spouse or a loved one, and you have them in the driver's seat. They put it in drive, but don't put their foot on the gas. It gives some positive tension on the line, and then I go and I cut the tree down, and it pulls it away from the house. Some of you would say, that sounds like fun. It is, as long as it's not you and your spouse coordinating this together. We had one time that that went slightly bad, almost put a huge tree through my neighbor's house, but it didn't, it didn't happen. It, it didn't actually go through the house. just went completely in the opposite direction of what I had intended. So one day I had it hooked up, and uh, I was going to bring down a tree. It was a, big, it was a big oak, and I thought, I need somebody to help me, and I wasn't going to use my wife. She was busy with the kids at the moment. We had a plumber at the house. He was helping us with the problem. And as he came out of the house, I thought, I'm going to ask my plumber. I just needed somebody to get in the Yukon, and then when I go to cut the tree and I've got the, uh, the wedge out the front, I'm doing the back cut, all I got to do is I lift my leg slightly when I'm cutting, and then the driver can see, okay, he's lifting the leg, give positive tension on the line, positive tension, give that tree a pull down. So I was running it through him, and he'd said, I can, I can cut the tree down if you want to go do the Yukon. And at that moment, I thought, I don't know who this guy really is, And I was thinking the easier of the two jobs. I don't know if he's really all that familiar with chainsaws. And I had a a big saw at the time. And and, I don't know. I don't want him to put this. And this was about 15 feet off my house. And I just thought of, well, I might be able to pull. But if he cuts it wrong or if he cuts his hinge that he was supposed to leave through that, then he loses control of the tree. And then it's strictly up to me to pull it away from the house. And this could go bad. And then he said to me, he's like, I used to be a logger. I'm like, oh, okay. So your plumbing is like, what, a side job for you? <laughs> logger turned plumber. Those words right there, I used to be a logger. I said, done. And I walked over to the Yukon, and I got inside, and he took the saw, and he didn't need to you know, say, hey, you know, how do I pull the brake up on this, or where's the uh, choke? And I mean, he just right away got it going and had no protective gear on, and he looked at me, and he was, you know, I gave the tension, and it, it came down beautifully. So then I asked him, I said, are you going to charge me extra on the plumbing for tree removal? And he'd said, no, he wasn't going to do that. You know what put me at ease? Knowing that he had expertise in that area. 
to know that he's clearly done this before. I mean, I shouldn't have insulted his intelligence. I didn't know that he'd been a logger those years ago. Here's what we struggle with. We struggle with committing our lives, our homes, our income, our marriages, our families, our children. We struggle in committing anything to anyone that we assess doesn't know as much about the topic as we do. You might say, well, where are we going with this? I'm going to make a case that for the disciples, they had to learn some serious lessons while on the Sea of Galilee because as tried and true fishermen, they were taking all of their orders from a carpenter. Everything that he would tell them in these verses came from somebody who is not a fisherman. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, but he wasn't just any carpenter. This is Jesus Christ, right. You mean the one that they doubted time and time and time again? The one who was sleeping in the hindermost part of the ship and they thought that he was okay with their pending death? He didn't seem to have that sense about him and he questioned their faith and how they could be of such little faith and yet we see that their service for a lifetime goes back to trusting him in the simple things. We're coming full circle on this theme. We began on Sunday looking at the areas of having faith beyond failure. And we looked at the area of Peter. We've seen individuals like Barnabas and Abraham and studying the disciples as a whole, the children of Israel. We've seen when they hesitated. We've seen when they retreated. We have seen when there should have been a point of rest, but instead of rest, they retreated away in the heat of the battle even though they were duly equipped and had the possibility, because of God's power, to do what he wanted, they, they felt it was an impossibility, and they stopped short. Each of you will be challenged this summer in a variety of ways. Some of you, you're going to be stretched beyond your limits physically, for some emotionally. For others, mentally, you'll try to rationalize your way out of problems that God has sovereignly ordained and allowed into your life, and it's not your job to reason it away. It is your job to trust. I love this passage of Scripture, so I'm going to read its, its verses 1 through 11. You can follow along silently. Again, I'll try to read at a uh, slower pace. and Let's glean from these lessons and it came to pass, this is Luke 5, beginning in verse 1, that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught, is how you would pronounce that. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. And when they had, th and when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished 
and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto them, said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now I chose that passage specifically because that is also the account that when it says in verse 11, and maybe you'd make a, a, an underline or mark that, at this point they forsook all and followed him. And yet, not too much later, we find in the book of Matthew at the end that because of all of the circumstances, it says they forsook him and fled. If we are going to live lives that are marked by more than simply a temporary commitment, that excitement that's the, uh, it's there momentarily, much like a, a sparkler, it burns brightly, but it, it's quick. And within 20 seconds, 30 seconds, your child comes back to you and says, can I have another sparkler? So then we light it, and then it's, it burns down. It's really exciting, and smoke comes off of it, and it's, it, it illuminates everything around it, and then it just kind of fizzles out. That is not the kind of ministry that God wants you or me to have. Burns super bright, really hot. Everybody around can see it. It's, it's, it's attraction is inescapable, and then it's gone. And then there has to be somebody else that starts to burn brightly and then just kind of fizzles out. I don't want to have a sparkler mentality in ministry. I would rather have a consistency over the long haul, a lifetime of service for my Savior. One day at a time, one week at a time, one month at a time, one year at a time, one, one decade at a time, one lifetime. Not just the summer of 2019. And so as we look towards the summer and all that the Lord will allow, I'm encouraging you, look well beyond it and apply these lessons in your life so that the ministry that God is calling you to and the way that you can serve and grow in Christ and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that it will not just be for the summer of 2019, but for the rest of your lives. Sometimes we're prone to serve the Lord before we have secured the lesson and it proves disastrous. A lifetime of service begins with lessons on the sea, out in the deep, with no one else around to draw from except Christ. As seasoned mariners, it might appear strange to launch into the deep sea at the instruction of a carpenter, but we will quickly find him to be trustworthy faithful and true. I want you to notice a little bit of the background of the events here. Uh, some have said this, 18 through 22, and Mark 1, 6 uh, through 20. I don't actually believe that. Uh, I'll note a couple of things regarding those accounts. Uh, in those accounts, the fishing was still actively occurring, whereas in our text this evening, the fishing had transpired the night prior, and now they were tending to the nets and letting them dry in preparation for the next night of fishing. You'll also note in the Matthew account that they go from the seashore into Capernaum where Christ casts out the demons, and that account uh, would differ from Luke 4, 31 through 37. I believe Peter, Andrew, James, and John had already been with Christ at this point. They had been to the cities of Capernaum and Galilee, but were now fishing again. They had taken back up their profession as fishermen. 
Mark 1, 29 through 31 says, And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon, or at once, they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. This would be the exact temptation they would face again in John chapter 21, 1 through 14. Peter famously stating, I go a fishing. I'm going to go back to the things that I know. I'm going to go back to the common. Wow, that was incredible. It was exciting. It was so neat to be a part of that for that time. But now let me go back to the normal. Here's what I'm going to challenge you with tonight as we conclude and come to a closing of staff training week. If normal means living in the inheritance of the wilderness, it's time to establish a new normal. If your normal is to say at the end of the summer you're going to go back to a relationship that you know in your heart right now is not right and does not glorify God, it's time to find a new normal. If right now you would say that there's something in your life tonight no one else knows about, Brother Mike hasn't approached you and said, hey, can we talk? You know there's something that is between you and God, and right now you're planning on going through this summer, living a charade, a duplistic life spiritually. I'm telling you right now, there's got to be a change. There's got to be a new normal. There's got to be, instead of I go a fishing, I'm going to go back to what is known. I'm going to go back to what I've always done. I'm going to go back to what I rely upon. I'm going to go back to my level thinking and my understanding. I'm telling you right now, even though you might be in the midst of a boat, in the midst of the Sea of Galilee, it's time to trust Christ as your heavenly Father and as a carpenter, as the one who's going to lead you properly and allow you to fish in a way that you have never fished before. And by the way, we're going to get to it. You'll notice that the response and the reactions of those who followed Christ's instructions, it didn't stop at their amazement of the fish. I love that Peter is immediately consumed with his sin. He's struck with the fact of who he is and who Christ is before him. He's astonished at what's going on. He realizes this is absolutely supernatural. He realizes that their failure in the past, and when the Lord stepped in and intervened and told them what to do, and they simply trusted, they simply were resting in Him and following Him, he knows that what happened was absolutely not of His doing, but it was of the Lord's. The first thing I want you to see is the company. In verse 1 through 3, part A, the company of those that were there might make a note in parenthesis after each of these main points. This one would be that we must embrace his company. I went to a public high school and I shared a little bit, but one of the things that they had was FCA or Fellowship of Christian Athletes. There were about 250 people at my high school, which was a rather large high school. Divisions were 9th through 12th grade, and we had almost 2,700 kids at the school. And there was probably 250 or so, I'm guessing. I never counted them individually, but they would come out for FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Now, some of the football players... Uh, that came out to Fellowship of Christian Athletes. They made it apparent they were there for the donuts and to meet girls. Uh, they weren't all that excited about anything of God, which they wouldn't have been disappointed then because there was really nothing of God given. 
Never once was a Bible picked up. Never once did they really open or close in prayer. And after about the second time going, I realized, you know what? This, just because the football players have made this a popular thing to do, this throng of people here, <laughs> really is nothing going on here. We also had Meet Me at the Flagpole. And Meet Me at the Flagpole was interesting because uh, the designated area for everybody that wanted to smoke was right across the street from the high school. Literally, the road that separated the high school from what was known as the natatorium, which was a workout gym and pool facility, uh, the place where all of the high school kids would congregate, it had to be off of school grounds. <laughs> they went right across the street, and that's where they would all smoke, and there would be about, oh, 100 or 150 of them out there as high school kids, and, and they'd be smoking, and uh, I'm not sure really you know, what the administration thought of that, but they didn't evidently have much jurisdiction on what was happening. But the flagpole was about 50 feet, away from that road, about 50 feet in front of the entrance to the school. So if you wanted to meet me at the flagpole for the National Day of Prayer, uh, when I would go to that, there would be about 70, 75, 80 people, less than 100, I'm sure. And we didn't have really any of the football players that had said that their objective was to get the girls and the donuts at FCA. It was definitely a narrowed sense of commitment. And there were those that came, and, and you might hear them snickering and joking around and laughing, even as some of the other students would pray. And of the 75 that were there, there weren't many who would pray out loud for the school, the administration, for our country, for really anything that was scripturally being outlined. It was kind of a nebulous hodgepodge of those that claimed any faith affiliation I'd gone to the administration and said, would I be able to start a Bible study? They had said, you can, but you have to have a proctor. You have to have somebody from the school that's going to watch over and make sure. And if you find a teacher that's willing to meet at about 7 in the morning, you can have the back room of the library that seats about 10 people. <laughs> I found the librarian. He was a Catholic man. His name was Mr. Jones. And I had said, Mr. Jones, would it be okay if I led a Bible study? And he'd said, what is your intent? I said, to lead a Bible study. <laughs> I thought that was self-explanatory, but I... I don't have a curriculum. I was just going to take the Bible and start going through the Bible. This was my senior year. He said, sure. He's like, I'll be out here. And this is still the age of the Dewey Decimal System prior to computers. So he'd be cataloging, cataloging files and putting books back. He said, I'll be out here and you're fine. So it got on to the uh, announcements for school. And I remember I was in my trigonometry class and the announcements in the morning would come on. And, and Eric Gustafson is going to be heading up a Bible study in the back corner of the library. And I remember some of the kids in my class, you know, the look. Eric's, Eric's heading up a Bible study. Now, they didn't actually want to come. I didn't have donuts. I couldn't afford to get donuts. Uh, didn't really have any girls to offer and say, hey, we've got all the popular kids from the football team. Uh, all I can tell you is that we, we're going to have the Bible. We can start in the Gospel of John and just work through that. And on that very first meeting, there were four kids. One of them was my brother. Actually, my brother was in college, so it was just me and three other kids. <laughs> My brother's two years older, and I wish that he would have been there. And the four of us as individuals uh, went through the Bible, and I think we grew to a total of about seven, maybe less than ten, eight, maybe nine. The point that I'm making is that as we got closer and closer in company to Christ, invariably there was a thinning of the crowd. And you will find the same principle to be true in your own life. The closer you draw to the Lord Jesus Christ, you might find that you're not winning the popularity contests. 
But my admonition and encouragement to you this evening is that if the company that you keep is Jesus Christ, you have the best company of all. Rather than to have the accolades of peers and friends and students around you, to be able to say that the time that you spend is genuine, that it's real, that it's not just frivolous and it's not just fluff, that you want to gain a knowledge of God's plan in your life, the company that were there as far as those on this ship. Christ entered into Simon's ship, you'll note. And you'll note, according to John 1.40, that uh, Simon Peter had a brother. His name was Andrew. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, it says in John 1.40. Now, apart from the company of Christ, we will be hopelessly lost as we attempt to navigate the open sea of life. We are then left, apart from the company of Christ, to our own understanding, which is the very thing the Lord had given us an admonition against doing in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. In the company, we see the truth that we must embrace our time with the Lord. To have him as our company even if you have friends and family leave that are no longer with you, friends that you once had, individuals you were once in a relationship with, that as you drew closer and closer to Christ, you just became less appealing to them. And where there are crowds of the popular sports stars and the athletes and piles of donuts and junk food, the crowd is quite large. And then when it funnels down that it's now being viewed through the lens of those who clearly don't want what you have, there are those that because of fear say, you know what, I I can't continue to do it. But when it gets down to the basis of it's you and it's Christ, and he says it's time to launch out into the deep, it's time to follow him. It's time to understand that you're not just following the instructions of a carpenter and you are the seasoned mariner on the seas of life. You are following the instructions of the one who the winds and the waves still obey him. The company leads then secondly to the commands. In verses 3, part B through verse 4, we see this. While in his company, we must obey his commands. It says, and prayed him, Simon Peter, that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking or finished speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught, meaning a huge load of fish. God's commands build upon our obedience to prior commands. Let me ask, what if Peter had started to rationalize based off of timing? Uh, You know, Lord, I don't know that the timing is best. I mean, we we were just mending our nets and letting them dry out, and and we're immediately now going to go back out and fish. It's midday. Any fisherman of any caliber knows that that's probably the worst time to really do your best fishing. So, Lord, I'm... You know, I'm just questioning, should I obey based off of your timing? Or maybe it's the technique. Maybe it's as a fisherman he could have said, um, well, actually, if we're going to cast our nets, we probably should be trolling a little bit closer to shore, so to go out into the deep and then catch the nets, unless they're 
a strange variety of fish. They're not just going to hang at the surface level. So maybe the technique throws him. Or maybe he could say it's an area of trust. When you say let down your nets for a, a, a draft of fish, he could have said, well, do I trust him because I've already done that? I've already tried that. That didn't work. Am I going to go back and, and do it yet again? I think of the passage we've already looked at with Naaman in 2 Kings 5, 10 through 11. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Seems strange to me. Why should I trust him? We have rivers back home. Why have I made the journey? I've already tried that. If you're going to say it washes off, I'm telling you right now, the disease does not wash off. I've already tried washing it off. I'm dying of leprosy. I mean, you're kind of insulting my intelligence that I've, I've already done that. Peter could have said, um, I don't know if anybody had revealed this, but we actually were fishing all night long, and we didn't catch anything, and we're mending our nets. It's midday. This is the time that we're supposed to rest and let the nets dry so we don't start getting rot in the nets. And I mean, you know, question, question, question. But instead, it's the simple act of saying, here am I, send me. I'll obey. In spite of the timing that seems off, in spite of the technique that seems off, in spite of the trust issues, because I've already tried it, when the Lord says this is what you should do, folks, we need to follow. We need to obey Him. We need to stop assessing how much does He really know about us. Folks, He created us. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows our thoughts while they're still a great ways off and the words before they come out of our mouth. So why do we have these trust issues? What, because we're treating him like I was treating the plumber that was in my house? Well, I don't know if he knows really how to run that chainsaw. That's a man's chainsaw. You know, he can do some serious damage with a steel MS-461. He probably doesn't even know how to push in the decompression valve. And he's just a plumber. Oh, you're a lumberjack. Okay, then you've used saws bigger than this. Okay, well, by all means then. Now that you've proved your credentials, now I'll trust you. And some of you say that's, that's a silly illustration, and yet, you're doing it with God right now. You want God to prove his credentials. You want God, well, if he just kind of wrote it in the sky, the Jews seek for a sign. No sign shall be given you. He already gave his son to us. He fulfilled all of the prophecies of Scripture. He died for you and me. He was buried, and he rose from the dead. He was seen above 500. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. We have the canon and completeness of Scripture. I'm thinking if we're still stuck, that letter writing in the sky is what's going to seal the deal for us. There is absolutely nothing then that we can find in Scripture that will be of help. Folks, Peter says we have a more sure word of prophecy. And he was at, a, at the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter saw the glorified Christ with his own two eyes. You and I have not done that. And Peter says, better than eyewitness account, better than seeing it written in the skies, we have the word of God. 
And I'm imploring you that when you are in the company of Christ, you need to obey the commands of Christ. Thirdly, we see the control. As we obey his commands, we see his control over situations. Again, I don't want it to become sacrilegious or do a disservice with the illustration, but the minute that man told me I was once a logger, and the minute he picked up my chainsaw, I understood by what he was doing, he knew what he was doing. He, he knew his way around the saw. He was able to start it up. He didn't have to say, well, you got a, you got a 25-inch bar here. Uh, which side of the tree do you want? He, he knew what to do, and when I watched him do that, it helped me see his control in the situation, which then when I went to the driver's seat of the Suburban slash Yukon and I put it in drive, I knew he was going to make good on his end. Tree wasn't going to come down from his end. I needed to do my part. Christ is letting you know that you can trust him. He's in control. If anything, it's we who are out of control and when we obey his commands, you find that he is in control in a way that brings a calm and a peace. And if you, friend, are lacking that peace, if you lack the rest that Brother Marcus was singing about just a moment ago, I'll tell you right now, it's because you're trying to control your own life. You need to take your hands off of the helm and the wheel you need to stop trying to determine that you're the smartest one in the universe as it relates to your wife. I will concede that I am not the one that knows best what God's will is in your life, but I do know one who knows better than you, Jesus Christ. So appeal to him. Have him as your company, not just the crowds. Obey his commands. Allow him to control Christ has control over all since he is the creator of it all. Psalm 107, verse 25, For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. Mark 4, 37, And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. In verse 41 of Mark 4, And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? In Nahum 1, verse 3, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. In Colossians 1, 16, it says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. In the world, we are weighed down by burdens, but in Christ, we are weighed down with blessings. The fourth point is that of the conviction. The company, we must embrace his company. The commands, while in his company, we must embrace his commands. The control, as we obey his commands, we see his control over these situations. And then there's the conviction in verse 8 and 9. As we see his control over situations, we feel great conviction. Now, I'm not going to say that with that plumber who I have now established somewhat of a friendship with, I'm not going to say I felt great conviction, but there was that sense of me as I was walking to my Suburban to pull the tree that he probably thinks I'm kind of an idiot. He knew all along that this is 
absolutely nothing. And I'm rambling on about all of the fine points of exactly what you know maybe he could do and pulling and then his offer, do you want me just to cut the tree? And well, I don't know if you'd be able to handle that. Well, I used to be a logger. That'll do. <laughs> I feel kind of silly now. Feel a bit convicted that maybe I uh, overstepped my bounds. I didn't know. It wasn't like I was trying to. But I am letting you know that when it comes to Jesus Christ, whatever level of understanding you think you have in your life, he knows more. Whatever you think is good and best, he knows better. So that you don't suffer the same fate that I did, just trust him ahead of time instead of having to be convicted afterwards that you didn't trust. In verse 8 and 9, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Verse 9, as I mentioned earlier, for he was astonished. Literally, he was amazed, mind blown. And all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. You might say, well, is that a normal reaction uh, to something really exciting? I don't know, you tell me. Do you think it's normal to immediately address your sin because you're excited of the blessings? And then I had to ask myself, why don't we assess who we are truly as humans, as individuals, in our humanity, when we come in awe of God's blessings? Think of Isaiah. God's blessings are pronounced and shown and displayed. The command, the call is given. And he says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. He said he was undone. Literally, he, he had no power of flesh at that point to stand. There was a conviction he had. He sees Christ for who Christ is. He sees God in his glory. And he recognizes, who am I to stand here arguing, debating? In my flesh, I have nothing good to offer. This summer, it will not be in your flesh Again, if you think because you've served in other camps or you've been here at Southland in years past, and once you get past that first week and you get the schedule all figured out, that that's when it becomes really easy. Frankly, you're heading down the wrong path, and it's the more that you get in company of Christ and alone with Him and don't depend on the schedule that you'll be in awe of Him and convicted by Him. Paul in his life, it wasn't that as the closer he got to Christ, the better he felt about himself. You find the opposite. The closer that the Apostle Paul got to Christ in his life, the less he saw of himself. It started off that initially he was uh, counting himself as the least of the Apostles. And then he works himself down to the position of being chief of sinners. And then he's at the point that he is, he's the worm. Everything in his life he counts as dung, as refuse. There's not one solitary thing that he is holding on to the closer he gets to Jesus Christ. The company, the commands, the control, the conviction, and it leads in verse 10 to the catch. While under conviction from him, we learn what we are really supposed to be catching. Peter was understanding in verse 10 when it says, And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, 
which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, now notice this phrase, take this in slowly, fear not. From henceforth thou shalt catch men. Um, I think we're doing pretty good catching fish. Because this is the best catch I've ever had. Wow. This is amazing. Can't we keep on this plane? I mean, as far as the avenue of making an income, this is how you're catching fish. I mean, if I'd been catching fish like this, I'd be a wealthy man. I could even take off days in the week and only do this one night a week. I mean, we've got two boats. We're almost going under with all of the fish we have. This is astonishing. Wow. Let's have him with us every time we catch fish. And some of you are going to be tempted because you see Christ as a means of fulfilling your own desires. Well, I mean, now that I'm at camp and now that I've been able to serve in that capacity... I'm starting to see all of the fish monetarily that I can have influence upon, and I'm starting to kind of find my way. I'm getting in my groove. I feel like I know what to do now. This is a good thing because now I'm starting to think about all the things that I didn't know how it was going to come about, but now I've got a plan because it's starting to fall into line. You know, Brother Gustafson asked me at the beginning of the week, hey, what are the plans for the future? And I was like, I don't know. I have to pray about it. But, but now I'm, I'm firing on all cylinders because I got two ships full of fish. And then the Lord simply says, fear not. It's not about fish. It's about men. It's not about learning ministry for the sake of getting what you want. It's not about using God as the theological backdrop to fulfill your own will. It's about understanding that God is able to use us in our lives any way he sees fit. Years ago, I preached a message titled, God's Eminent Domain. Eminent Domain is the act of a sovereign, whether a state or a country, to take for private use land which is public. And it says that the the thoughts or the concerns of the individual who presently owns the land are immaterial in the decision of the taking. Now, the Fifth Amendment protects that individual. Just compensation has to be made, but it would work a little something like this. Uh, you happen to own 150 acres of pasture land, but that land is right directly between two areas of causeway, and the government comes to you and they say we'd like to uh, offer you five times what your property is worth because there's going to be a major thoroughfare that's going through here. And you say, um, no, actually, I don't want to give it up because I like to see the corn and the birds flying out there. And they say, well, based off of these stipulations and eminent domain, we are able to take that land. Now, there have been lawsuits, there's been fights in courts based off of eminent domain, but in the life of a spiritual saint, in the life of the Christian, God is able to take your life and my life and say, Eric, it's not up to you what I do with your life. Your concern in the matter is frankly immaterial. As the sovereign of the universe, if I want to take your life and find the most glory derived from it and have you here or here, wealthy or poor, your concern in that matter doesn't really matter. 
It's for my glory that I'm doing this. Remember when Peter, after he was talking to Christ, and he says, do you love me? I love you. We went through this the other day in John chapter 21. Right after he goes through that, what is the very next question that Peter has for Christ? He saw John, and he's like, well, what about him? (laughs) Okay, so we've just kind of encapsulated that I'm going to die. You've told me, what death I will glorify you. That when I was young, I could gird myself, but when I'm old, another will have to come and gird me, literally, the Holy Spirit of power in his life. And he says, when you stretched forth your arms, which according to church history, Peter was crucified upside down, not feeling worthy to die in the same way that Jesus Christ died. And as soon as he hears this, because it says in the text, And this spake he, signifying by what death he would die. Christ had already died and risen from the dead. He wasn't talking about his death. He was talking about Peter's death. And the very next question that Peter has when he sees John, the beloved, who was upon the breast of Christ at the supper, he looks at John and he says, well, what about him? And Christ says, in essence, what concern is that of yours? Stop being concerned with how his life is going to glorify me. You be concerned with how your life is going to glorify me. And even in that concern, it's not concern like, well, hey, I've got to know all of the answers to all of my questions before I obey. The Lord's really saying, I've given the command. It's time to obey. Let me unfurl for you your future as time allows and as his grace makes it known. But stop fretting all along the way. What's going to happen in three months? What's going to happen in five years? Where am, I, where am I going to be in ten years? What kind of ministry can I or can I not occupy? What will happen to me? What kind of sickness might I face? That is living by fear. Our theme is walking by faith, moving ahead by faith, not staying back and, and panicking because of fear. The tightrope walker moves forward on the line He's not focused on what's below him. He's focused on what's in front of him. And he just keeps one step at a time moving forward. There's the area of the catch. And then there's the area, lastly, of the contradiction. The contradiction, after learning what we are to catch, we must cherish his company or our lives will only serve as a contradiction in the eyes of others. Remember that I told you at the beginning of the message, this was full circle from the message I delivered on Sunday morning. And the last verse, if you haven't underlined it or mark it, make a note and compare that with what you're going to find in Matthew chapter 26, verse 55 and 56. You should have those two verses or those two sections of Scripture linked together. And when they had brought their ships to land... They forsook all and followed him. They were all in. Wow. They were at that point of obedience. They were at that point of walking by faith. They weren't walking by fear. This is incredible. And yet, it does not ensure that just because yesterday you found a point of victory, that somehow it secures victory for you in tomorrow's temptation. I'm not guaranteed a place of, I'm going to sit back and just enjoy this position. I'm not going to be moved because I once obeyed, therefore I'll always obey. Because I once had the peace of God, 
Not peace with God. That's when a person is saved. They have peace with God through Christ the Son. But the peace of God. There are believers that have peace with God and they don't have the peace of God. And just because right now maybe you say, no, 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 brother, everything is going well. I am like super excited. I mean, I cleaned house spiritually and I'm walking with the Lord. I have peace with God. I have the peace of God. This is fantastic. And I would say, Mark, in your Bibles then, Luke 5.11, because you know what that feels like. And if you don't continue day by day, continue in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, continue thou, continue Saturday and Sunday and Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday and Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and June and July and August and September and October and the remainder of 2019 and 2020 and 2021 and the rest of the 20 series into 2030 if God gives us time and he gives us breath and each and every day keep that company with him so that Luke 5.11 is where you land. Otherwise, just like Peter, and just like John, and just like James, and just like the others that were there on the day of that incredible miracle, it says in Matthew 26, 55 through 56, in that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, are ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves for, to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hold on me, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then the next line, you've got to underline this. You've got to tie it back to Luke 5.11. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. I pointed out to you that as Paul was at the end of his days in 2 Timothy, Demas is no longer with him. There were those that were not with him because of their carnality. There were those that were no longer with him because of their calling. Titus and others, there were those that were not with him because they were sick. Trophimus was sick. His condition didn't allow him to be with the Apostle Paul. And then there were those that because of their commitment, Paul says, bring the parchments, especially the par parchments, bring the books, bring my cloak. It's getting cold. I'm cold. I want the Word of God. And uh, bring John Mark. Bring Luke. Bring Marcus. There was a very few group of individuals that after the fact were still keeping company in such a way that they were available to minister to Paul in those final days. And I wonder, as we conclude this week of meetings, as we conclude tonight's message, are you thinking only on the short term? Summer. I haven't gotten really too much further beyond summer. I mean, I'm just going to try to get through next week. I'm going to try to get through the, the busy time and, and then, then, you know, junior campers, teen campers. I'm just going to try to get through ministry this summer, but you're not thinking long term. I encourage you, take time alone with the Lord at some point and say, Lord, I don't want to leave your company. And what seemed to be maybe a boat ride where we went a little bit of a distance from the shore and you taught the masses, then the turning became fiercely personal because you turn to me and you say, launch out into the deep. 
And you might come up with excuses as to God's timing when he gives that command. You might say the technique doesn't seem to make sense. You might say I'm having trust issues and I'm praying for you that when this occurs, your faith will not fail, that you'll know that Christ has prayed for you, and when thou art converted, encourage the brethren. The very thing that Jesus Christ had said to Peter before Peter denied him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, as we come to you this evening, our hearts are full with gratitude and thanks for all of the individuals who have poured themselves into the ministry of this week for the administration here at Southland, for all of the teaching lessons and the, the counseling times together and learning this pertinent information. And right now, as these young people look at this weekend prior to the first week of camp, there may be some tonight that they still know that in their heart, they're living a lie they're playing a game with you. It's not a game so much that they play with us, but they're trying to pretend with their life that they can fool you. But God, you're not fooled. You know the secret hidden parts of our lives. And I pray that tonight they would lay themselves out, bare before you, because you already know what's there, that they would consecrate themselves to you, that they would serve you, that they would follow you, that they would make you their greatest desire, their greatest company, that they would listen to the commands that you give, that they would obey those commands. And then I'm sure they would sense that point of conviction as to why they hadn't obeyed earlier. Father, I just pray that as they obey the commands, they would see the control that you have in these situations, that it, they would understand that you are truly leading them then to see the catch and to hear you tell them, fear not, and to express that it's not just for the humans, not just the monetary, it's not just for service this summer, it's not just for preparation in college or to make good friendships, that there is a calling that you have for them. Father, I pray that their lives would not be lived in such a way that it's a contradiction that as they come in with the boats full of the catch and the miracle, as they see what you've done, then to simply go back and to retreat, to go back to the things of this world, to forsake you and flee because of their fear. Father, I pray that you'd give them a holy boldness, that you'd use them in a powerful way. I know that I've spoken many times in, in general terms. I don't know what's on their hearts individually. There may be some that they're battling areas of sin. There may be some that there are tremendous fears for others. There's tremendous hurt that they right now need your grace to work through. And I pray that in all of this, Lord, that you would do the work, that you would get the honor and that you would get the glory as eminent domain of their lives is called by a holy God. Father, I love you. It's in Christ's name I ask.
Thanks so much for tuning in to the Southland Podcast. May the message you've just heard be truth that transforms your heart and life. Christ loves you and wants you to grow in his grace through salvation and sanctification. If you've never placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, we'd love to talk to you personally. Please give us a call at 318-894-9154 or shoot me an email at mherpster at southlandcamp.org. Christ has promised eternal life and a life worth living if you will only believe in him. May the Lord bless you in your pursuit of Christ-like living. Tune in next time right here for another message on the Southland Podcast.